We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Union Avenue Opera is kicking off its 24th season tonight. The first of three featured programs is Gilbert and Sullivan's HMS Pinafore. Scott Schoonover is founder and artistic director of the organization, and he is the man behind the new season. I sat down with him this week and observed that this 24th season series is an eclectic one. It is an eclectic one. We're always telling people we have something for everyone, and that's for sure this season. We have something for the operetta lover, HMS Pinafore, and then moving on from there to Nabucco, a big Verdi grand opera, and then we're ending with an opera work that opened on Broadway um, called Lost in the Stars. So it's something for everyone, for sure. And as I understand it, basically all of these things, although they have some uh, years on them in most cases, have a lot of relevance for today. Yes, for sure they do, especially Lost in the Stars, the last one, although I think each of the shows is worth producing and we're seeing today. But Lost in the Stars in particular is, um, you know, something that's about racial equality, inequality, I should say, and uh, set in the 1940s apartheid in South Africa. And it's as we were working on this show and having the rehearsals for the chorus and talking about it, it seems very much like today's climate, which is so sad and such a you know commentary on where we are today. But it has a lot of relevance, certainly. And how about Nabucco? Where's the relevance there? Well, I'm not sure about Nabucco having current relevance, although it is about freedom. It is about enslaved people. In this case, obviously, the the Hebrew people, the Jewish people being enslaved by the Babylonians. Although the Middle East remains a bit of a problem. (laughs) Well, that's for sure. Yes, that's true, for sure. Yes, Uh, you know, those sorts of things are still going on. I hadn't really thought of it in those terms myself. So, yeah. You're getting started with Gilbert and Sullivan. Yes, so that opens July 6th and goes on July 7th, July 13th and July 14th. So we're well into that one right now. Of course, this is just probably Gilbert and Sullivan's one of their most famous pieces that they ever did. It certainly was their first big hit that they produced. They had done two smaller shows previously, but when this one was produced, it came to light in London, and it was the first one that really took off for them. Also, that show came to the United States right after it happened. It opened in 1878 in London, and by 1879, there were 100 performances of it running concurrently in the United States. It's been a very popular show since its very inception and certainly remains one of the most famous of the Gilbert and Sullivan. And what might its relevance for today be? It's poking fun at politics. It's poking fun at party politics. It's poking fun at people being raised up to positions that they're not qualified to have. In that sense, I suppose it's it's a chance to come and laugh about things that are going on today. Boy, with what you've just said, it seems like it, it really is will work for today. Yeah. What, what about today's audiences for Gilbert and Sullivan? Uh, music and uh, lyrics written 140, 50 years ago. Yeah, it's amazing. Every time that we program Gilbert and Sullivan, which we have three or four times now, we get the biggest ticket sales that we've had for any show. So there's still a huge need for it, want for it. People want to see it, let's put it that way. I would say, you know, I think the language of the dialogue is... It's very almost Shakespearean, and you really have to pay really close attention to understand what it is. But hopefully the actors are doing a good job of, you know, punching up the right moments and making sure that people get the points. We do have in our – and this is kind of a big, boomy space that we're in. We do project super titles on both sides. Mm -hmm. And the last time that we did an an operetta in there without super titles for the dialogue – 
people complained that they had a hard time understanding it. So this year we decided to title the dialogue as well as the the singing. So if people aren't understanding everything that's going on, they can refer to the to the slides. So do you ever get any sense that that detracts though from the music and from the performance overall? I think those people who can't hear what is being said would rather have that option available to them. And in our case, because we project to the sides of the stage, you don't have to watch them if you don't want to. You have to make a conscious effort to look over there and see it. So if you're understanding everything and don't want to look, you certainly don't have to. But I think for those people who don't understand, it's more of a distraction that they can't understand every Mm -hmm. word that's being said. And certainly when it's in Italian or when it's in French or German, we want people to have the option to know exactly what's being said at those times. We have some music from Pinafore that we'd like to play, give people a taste of it. I can't imagine there's anybody who hasn't heard at one time or another (laughs) heard some of this, but why don't you set up what we can listen to? Sure. We're just about at the point in the show where Sir Joseph, who is the admiral of the Navy and his cadre of women, uh, cousins, aunts, sisters, uh, are all coming on board and the sailors are very excited to greet them. Gilbert and Sullivan, unmistakable. (laughs) For sure. Uh, Scott, what do you think has made Gilbert and Sullivan and their work endure for all these years? Well, I'm not really sure. I, I personally love it. I personally love the idea that it's it's farcical, you know, that it's fun and it's funny and it's a time that we can come into the theater and just relax and have fun and enjoy it. You know, there's it's not deep. It's not... Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say that it's the characters are caricatures. They are very, you know very defined archetypes, you know, in that canon. But certainly there are real feelings happening, too. There's a real love story going on, for example, in this particular show. Meanwhile, the people who are trying to detract from that love story are almost cartoonish, and they're very fun and funny, and, and they're always set up that way. But the, So there's always a heart in the Gilbert and Sullivan stories. Meanwhile, there's these funny people on the outskirts that are really entertaining to watch. And I think people just enjoy them for that reason. They're not meant to be something serious. They're not meant to be something other than entertainment. They're good entertainment. Obviously, the American audiences loved it when it was first performed here. Yeah. It, was, it was very successful right from the get-go, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. As I mentioned, there were like over 100 performances going on, but that's not, that's not the only thing about it. It was ripped off in every form. For example, here in the United States, there were German language productions of it. Not to say that they stuck to the story exactly, but there were German language productions of it. There were Catholic productions of it, mm. Italian Catholic productions. There were all black cast productions of it. There were Yiddish productions of it. So it really was something that sort of got into the American culture at the time. And and I was reading about it too, that even some of the lines from the show became something that people joked about on a daily basis. Uh, so at, th- at its time, it was very popular here in the United States. There must have been a need for it at that time. Of course, this, the Civil War was over 13 years or so. Yeah, that's true. A, a significant period of time, but the, the national mood must have been such that- Needed some struck. relief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I'm not sure. 
then right after this was Pirates Penzance. Mm-hmm. And that too had a huge following here in the United States. Right away, very beloved. Um, that one, and then the third one that was very popular here was Mikado, of course. There were lots of other shows that they did that weren't so famous here, but those three really made it into our consciousness here in the United States. Let's give another listen to more of the uh, Pinafore music and just get a sense of, uh, once more, of what it all sounds like. Great. So this is a song called I Am the Monarch of the Sea, and this is Sir Joseph's entrance aria where he's talking about how he rules the sea and everything about it. See the captain? No, he's not the captain. He's the admiral of the Navy coming on board the ship. I am the monarch of the sea, the ruler of the Queen's Navy. Whose praise Great Britain loudly chants. And we are his sisters and his cousins and his aunts. And they are his sisters and his cousins and his aunts. His sisters and his cousins and his aunts. When at anchor here I ride, my bosom swells with pride. And I snap my fingers at the foeman's taunts. And so do his sisters and his cousins and his aunts. And so do his sisters and his cousins and his aunts. His sisters and his cousins and his aunts. More from HMS Pinafore, uh, which is going to be opening the season. You're very excited about it, Scott, needless to say. For sure, yes. Yeah. I'm very excited. This is our 24th season at Union Avenue Opera. Not only we, are we have a big season this season, but we're gearing up for next year as well. I won't tell you about that just now, but uh, 25 next year will be amazing. Wow. Has it become easier to attract quality singers over those 24 years, given the reputation as it's, it's yeah, increased? I would say I would say somewhere about the middle of our run, we started being able to attract what we were looking for. Uh, we hold auditions each year in New York City and here in St. Louis, and we do three days of auditions in New York City, and we do three days here. We hear 80 singers a day in those oh, days, wow. which is a lot of singers. And we have always a waiting list in both places of people that we don't get to hear. So we're very lucky to be able to you know attract people. It's sort of at a good good time of the year, too, for singers, because all the big companies are on break, um, and the summer su- the summer season companies, uh, like, for example, Opera Theatre of St. Louis, is already finished by the time we start. Mm-hmm. And people know if they're going to be going to Glimmerglass or to Santa Fe or something like that. So we can sort of get the people who aren't you know, busy at that time of year. So right. it, it works out for us. You may not want to do this, but uh, are there any names coming in that uh, w- would be easily recognizable by your fans? Well, I'm not sure about easily recognizable. If, if you've been to the operas over the years many times, I'll tell you that in HMS Pinafore, uh, two of the people, the two leads, Anthony Heinemann and Leanne Schuring, are people who've been working at Union Avenue Opera for years. They worked their way up from the chorus into smaller roles and now into their first big roles with us, which is pretty exciting. So if you've been watching them and us, you'll certainly know them. The rest of the cast, I'm not sure that you would know, but they're wonderful people from all over the country. In our next show, we have Robert Garner. Garner has been seen many times at Union Avenue. He's been he's playing um, the lead role, the title role, I should Nabucco. say, in Nabucco. Yeah, he was the father, Germain, Elder Germain, in Traviata the last mm-hmm. time we did it a few years ago, and I know some people will remember that performance. Also, Melody Wilson, who was in our production of Doubt, she was uh, Mrs. Miller. She's coming back to play one of the sisters in in that show, in Nabucco. Fenena is her name. And also the guy who played the Mikado, if you came to see our production of Mikado, you'll remember he's about six foot seven. He is coming to play the role of Zacharia, the lead baritone, the high priest in Zachary James is his name in in Nabucco. So the rest of the cast are pretty new to, to us and to St. Louis. But 
you know, there's a lot of new, interesting people coming in, certainly. You say you're working on next year already. What is your approach to establishing a season? I mean, what do you look for in terms of balance and, and how you want the audience to perceive what you're doing? Well, first of all, we, we look at things that we've done. We've done audience surveys the last couple of years mm-hmm. to see what people are interested in having us do. That's one of the reasons we're doing Nabucco this year, because Nabucco came up and it was a real surprise to us. It came up over and over on these audience surveys. And I think partially it was because the Metropolitan Opera um, has been doing these broadcasts in theaters. And there was a wonderful production of Nabucco that they did very recently. And I, I think maybe that's how it sort of got its way into people's minds. But generally, we look at the season and say, we want to try to find something for everyone. Uh, we want to try to find something that's a little lighter. We want to do a kind of big, important language piece, uh, Italian opera. Mm-hmm. And then we, the third piece is sort of a wild card. I like to do something every few years, at least, that's contemporary and, and you know, that's very applicable to today. So, Were you trying to make a point with Lost in the Stars, g- given our own recent history? Here? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't so much about trying to make a point as thinking that it's important that we bring this piece to this town and to our audiences. I actually found a recording of this about 15 years ago in the old Streetside Records on Del Mar. And I listened to it ever since then and thought it was really an important piece for us. And we were able to get a grant from the Kurt Weill Foundation, a sizable grant to help us with this production. And they've been a really important part of pulling this together for us. Uh, one, one final word, and that is uh, you're doing the house tours this year, which will follow the season. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, in the fall. The months of October, November, and December, on the third Thursdays, we're calling them third Thursday concerts, we're having different concerts in three significantly historical homes, significant also neighborhoods. And the first one's going to be at the Magic Chef Mansion on October the 18th. And that particular one is going to be opera duets, quartets, and arias like serious opera. Then uh, the second one is going to be music with instruments from our orchestra. And the third one is going to be Christmas concerts. So those are on sale right now for those tickets. You can buy the whole package or you can buy just one single concert. And all that information is on our website. And you can go see which specific houses we're talking about and all that. We'll put a link to that website Thank on you. our website, stlpublicradio.org. Sounds like you've got a busy six months ahead of you. Oh, it's going to be busy, but it'll be a lot of fun, I think. Sounds great. Thank you very much. Thanks to Scott Schoonover, founder and artistic director of Union Avenue Opera. The opening night performance of HMS Pinafore is tonight at 8 o'clock at the Union Avenue Christian Church here in St. Louis. St. Louis on the Air is produced by Alex Hoyer and Evie Hemphill with production assistance from Aaron Dore, Caitlin Lally, and Charlie McDonald. The executive producer is Mary Edwards. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Don Marsh.